will, please turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, we're making our way through this greatest chapter in the Bible. We'll finish it up here at the end of the month, and then for the Advent Christmas season, we will go to the book of Isaiah and look at the wonderful names of the promised Messiah, and some of those you will see displayed behind us here in the banner, so looking forward to the Christmas season with you. It's on page 944 in the Bibles in the chairs in front of you, so I invite you to grab one of those, and as you're turning there, I just wanted to make mention to the, all the adults, there'll be a, a combined Sunday school uh, in here after the worship service. Uh, there will be a, a marriage panel uh, following up the commandments, looking at the biblical purposes of marriage, and we're going to have some expert married couples up here, and Pastor Russ is going to ask them some really hard and funny questions, so you don't want to miss Uh, Please stick around for that. Romans chapter 8, verses 28 through 30 are our verses of study. Very, very famous verses. Very important words of Scripture. This is the Holy Word of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to His purpose, For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Let's pray. Our God and our Father, we praise you and thank you for the wonderful truths that are found here in your word. Lord, we thank you for these promises that are almost too good to be true. So, Father, help us to believe them. Help us to see them. Help us to apply them to our hearts and to our lives. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I have officiated many funerals in my time as a pastor. And I have attended many funerals of loved ones and of church members. And it seems that almost every one of these occasions, Romans 8, 28 through the end of the chapter have been read or used in some way. Why is that? Why has Romans chapter 8, especially these verses here near the end of the chapter, why are they used? Why have they long been such a great comfort and assurance to God's people. Why do we turn to them in times of trouble? It's because of one word, I believe, and that is hope. Hope. We all long for hope. When something bad happens, when something sad happens, when some unexpected tragedy occurs, It is human nature for us to reach out for something, to to grab on to something that will give us assurance, something that will give us hope, something that will tell us that it's all going to be all right. And so for Christians here, our hope, our assurance, our comfort is found in a loving and sovereign God who has a plan. He has a plan, 
And even now, our sovereign Lord and God, he is executing his plan. God's plan started, as we read in Ephesians chapter 1, before the foundation of the world. And here we find out that it will end in the glory of God Almighty. All glory given to him and glory given back to his church and to his people. We live in a world. We live in a day and age. We live in a fallen world where there is, there is very little encouragement for us to pursue things that have eternal value. We're told that we need to be all about the here and now. We need to, we're told that we need to do what makes us happy, what feels good to us. But the scriptures do not do this. The scriptures tell us that nothing in this world can offer us hope. Nothing in this world can offer us the assurance that we need that will last forever. Romans chapter 8 verses 28 through 30 offer us something very different than the world could ever offer us. Here we find some of the most wonderful, some of the most powerful promises that are ever, could ever be imagined in the Christian life. And this leads us back to the great theme of what we've been talking about all in Romans chapter 8. And that is assurance. Assurance. Our assurance, it's not found in ourselves. It's not look within yourself and pull yourselves up by your own bootstraps. Our assurance is not found out there in the world. Anything that we could purchase or buy or earn for ourselves. Our assurance is in Christ alone and what he has done. And in Christ, our assurance is never in danger. It is never in doubt. Even though there is evil, even though we suffer, even though we eagerly await a time when there will be no more sin and death, a time when everything is going to be made right, we can be assured that God's sovereign and eternal plan is being and is going to be carried out, completed. And so the encouragement and the assurance that the Apostle Paul is writing to the Roman Christians about is that our loving God offers to his, offers to his people not just better circumstances, not like more stuff so that we can have Temporary happiness and pleasures. What our sovereign God is offering to us and to his people is a better life. An eternal weight of glory, the Bible says, that cannot fade and will never pass away. And so the question for you this morning is, do you believe that God wants you to be happy? Do you believe that God is in it for your happiness? He does. He does want you to be happy, but he wants to give you a happiness that is far greater than anything you could imagine. He wants to give us a happiness and a joy that is better than something that we could make up, better than something that the advertisements tell us that we must have. The happiness that he gives us is far greater than anything this world can give us. And that leads us to these promises. Promises that are found here in these verses, in our passages. Promises that we can claim. Promises that we can hold on to. Promises that will not let us go. 
the greatest happiness that we could ever imagine. And so what I want us to look at here this morning in verses 28 through 30 is that our assurance, our joy, our happiness comes from God who gives us amazing promises. And there's some really good ones here in these verses. And so I want us to look at three amazing, wonderful, all the adjectives that we could use, <laughs> promises here in this passage. The first one is, everything that happens to us in life is for our good. The second one is, predestination is the best news in the world. The third one is, the best promise is yet to come. So let's look at this first promise to us found in verse 28, that everything that happens to us in life is for our good. Perhaps there's no other verse in the Bible taken out of context more than verse 28. You may have a poster in your room or in your office or, or some reminder stuck somewhere with Romans 8, 28 in there to remind you that all things work for the good of those who love God. But when it comes to this verse, I want us to make sure we take it in context because Christians, whether we like it or not, if we're going to follow the words of Scripture, we've got to practice good hermeneutics. No, I'm not talking about a man named Herman Nutrix. I'm talking about hermeneutics. <laughs> That's the way that we interpret, apply, read, and study the Scriptures. We must take them in context. We must do as the confession teaches us to interpret Scripture with Scripture. So what does the Scripture say here in context? Because we must not take Romans 8, 28 out of context. If you look in Romans chapter 8, back, back at verse 18... You will need, we need to remember that in context, Paul is writing a letter to the Christians in Rome. And what he's trying to do here in, Rome, in Romans chapter 8 is encourage them, give them assurance, even in the midst of suffering. Look at verse 18. He says, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time, the Roman Christians here were dealing with suffering, which included persecution, which included harassment, which included their friends and relatives who were in Christ being used as human torches and thrown to lions. Real suffering, real death. And so when Paul was talking about suffering, he was talking about really bad stuff, real evil that happens in life. And this is a good lesson for us as modern-day Christians, especially in America, to remind ourselves that just because we know and love Jesus Christ, just because we are Christians, nowhere in the Bible are we guaranteed an easy, carefree, prosperous life. In fact, we're guaranteed quite the opposite, as we remember that Jesus said, if they persecuted me, they're going to persecute you also. Nowhere does the Bible claim that Christians are exempt from suffering. But what is promised to us as Christians is that when suffering does come, when bad stuff does happen, God will use it for good, for our good in his glory. So even all the bad stuff that happens, God uses it. And the promise is that he uses it here for good. There is real evil in the world. And when evil stuff happens to us, and when evil stuff happens to us around us every day, the amazing thing is that God would even, will even use that evil stuff 
for his good and his glory, for our good. Because everything that happens to us, God uses for good. God is going to make it work out for the good. The classic example of this is found in the book of Genesis when Joseph is sold by his brothers into slavery. Now, I know many of you have actually wanted to do that to your siblings, but these guys actually pulled it off. (laughs) They sold their brother into slavery, and that guy that got the special coat, he is out of here. He is down in Egypt. It was covered up. All is good to go. You may remember what happened. What happened? God used it for the good, didn't he? Because even though he was sold into slavery and went down into Egypt there, God used him to become a great ruler in Egypt. And when his family went down to Egypt begging for help, and and then he realized that that was his family, and they began to realize that he was a great ruler over them, what were they afraid that he was going to do? He was going to get them back. Oh, yeah? I mean, I I would have, but he didn't. This is what Joseph famously said. As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. To bring about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. What man intended for evil, God used for the good. Pastor John Murray reminds us that not one detail ultimately works out for evil for the people of God. In the end, only good will be their lot. So what about you? What about what's going on in your life? What evil might you be experiencing? What suffering might you have? What difficult thing is going on for you? And do you believe that God will even use that for good? Do you believe that God is orchestrating something behind the scenes that we finite people just can't understand and can't imagine that somehow he is going to intricately weave that into his sovereign plan and use it for good? Many of us here can testify that really hard stuff that has happened to us in life, looking back on it 10, 20, 30 years, wow. God used that. He saved me through that. And he will. He promises us that he will. He even covenants by his son, his son's death, that he will work all things out for good. That's the first piece of good news. That's the first wonderful promise. There's another great promise here, and this may come as a surprise to some of you. That predestination is the best news in the world. Ooh, (laughs) predestination. Some of you may be discovering this morning that that word is actually in the Bible. It is. That was my experience about 20 years ago. What? That's in the Bible? (laughs) I thought that we just argued about that. It's there. And in verses 29 through 30, Paul is actually going on to explain what he means by God works all things for the good. And this is God's good purposes, which he is calling everything. He's working out everything for the good. And this includes the greatest rescue plan there ever was. The great 
rescue plan of our salvation. And so what Paul is doing here in verses 29 through 30 is he is tracing the stages of God's good and saving purposes all the way from the beginning to the final consummation in the coming glory. And so what we find here is a God, a sovereign God, a loving God, who has predetermined everything. An eternal purpose that he has for all things. And his purpose is to bring glory to himself. And he's going to do that through his people. And so that brings us to some words that we discover in verses 29 through 30 that we must interpret very carefully. The first word is foreknew, speaking of God's foreknowledge. Foreknowledge means to know something beforehand. So this word has probably caused more trouble than any other word in these passages, even more trouble than the word predestination that we'll study here in a moment. So this word needs to be interpreted very carefully, but unfortunately, it's wrongly interpreted many times, and a wrong interpretation of talking about God's foreknowledge based on this passage is that somehow God looks into the future and that he sees those that will choose him, those that will believe. And based on what God is seeing, looking into the future, and those who choose whether to trust him or not, those are the ones that he saves. Now, I don't believe that this interpretation can be true for several reasons. The first is, that Paul is talking to a very particular group of people here. He's addressing Christians, those who are in Christ, those who are saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. But secondly, if that were the case, that God looked into the future and chose those who would belong to him based upon whether they chose him or not, that would be salvation by work. That would be salvation by works, not by grace. That would be based upon what we do and not what God has done. Like we sang this morning, my Lord, I did not choose you, for that could never be. My heart would still refuse you if you had not chosen me. We are saved by grace and not by works. And so here, God's foreknowledge is his sovereign, distinguishing love that he has for his people. The Bible, the Bible calls the elect. And the only source of God electing and predestinating people to salvation is his divine love, his sovereign love, his sovereign gracious love. And so a biblical understanding of God's foreknowledge is that he is the one who foresees faith in his people that he himself creates. That's what we talk about here when we talk about foreknowledge. There's the other word there, the scary word, predestination. That those whom God foreknew, that he loved beforehand, that he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his son, the Bible says. That he might be the firstborn among many brothers. So this verb here, predestined, means to decide beforehand. And so predestination in this context means that before God created the world, before anything came into existence, that he chose to save certain sinners to be the object of his undeserved favor. And so predestination teaches that it is God's choice of sinners, not the sinner's choice of Christ, 
that ultimately is the cause of our salvation. Predestination does not mean that our wills, though, are not involved. It does not mean that we're robots, that we're pre-programmed. Clearly, there is a decision involved in the process. Clearly, God instructs us to follow and obey the Lord. But it is God's decision before it is ours. It is what he has done before anything we have done. We did decide to choose Christ, but only because God decided first. Only because of God's sovereign, gracious love that he set on his people beforehand. And so we should not run from predestination. We should not hide from predestination. We should run to this wonderful doctrine. Why? It's because predestination is all about God's sovereign and purposed love. Predestination is at the very heart of the gospel. Think about it this way. This love is so great. It's the love that you've always wanted. It's the love that you crave every day. Think about it. It's the love that will not let you go. It's a love that you did not earn. It's a love that you cannot lose. Is that not the best news in the world? That God's love is so perfect, that it is so effective, that it will never let you go. It will always hold on to you. It's based upon what he has done, not whether what we feel like in a certain day. It will never let you go. You did not earn it, and you cannot lose it. But this doesn't change the fact that there are some who really struggle with this doctrine. I struggled with it for, I don't know, eight years? (laughs) A long time. Some of the chief objections about predestination are things like this. Well, predestination promotes arrogance. People are arrogantly walking around, I'm chosen. But it should rather promote humility. I cannot believe that God would choose a sinner like me. Some believe that it promotes uncertainty, but rather, predestination promotes assurance and comfort believers. It is comforting for those who have the Holy Spirit that God has sovereignly worked in their lives. Some believe that it promotes apathy. Apathy and that we don't have to practice obedience and love. But we must remember that God's sovereignty should never and never reduces our responsibility as Christians. To love God and to love others. Some believe that it promotes complacency and antinomianism. Saying that we don't have to worry about the way that we live since we're already saved. But rather, God has predestined us for a purpose. And it says very clearly here in Romans chapter 8 that we were predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his son. And what this means is that we are called to live Christ-like. Christ was not apathetic or complacent, or antinomian. Some believe that it promotes narrow-mindedness, saying that the elect become absorbed in themselves and limit the amount of people in the kingdom of God, you know, the frozen chosen. But think about back from the very beginning when God chose Abraham. And what did God choose Abraham and his family for? Abraham? You are going to be the father of many nations. 
Abraham, through you, I am going to bless the world. Through you, Abraham, would come a Messiah who would be the Savior of all who would come to know the Lord. God has not made us to be his favorites, but he has made us to be his witnesses, to proclaim the gospel to the world. God's purpose and predestination is very clear here for two reasons. The first is so that we would become like Christ, that we would be conformed to the image of Christ. And secondly, it says so that Jesus might be the firstborn among many. Rather than Jesus being some kind of you know, special club that we try to get secret pe- people into secretly, that's not what's going on here at all. Rather, Jesus is the archetype. He's the chief example of what God wants to do with his children and with all those who would come to him. He wants to make his people like Christ, glorified like him. That is his wonderful plan. There's so much more that could be said here, but we need to move on. Happy to talk with other of you about this further. But another word we see there is calling. Those whom he called, those whom he predestined, he also called. The way that predestination is applied and comes to pass is the call of God. And it's the call of God that comes through the gospel, the preaching of the word. Wherever the gospel is preached with power, people respond in obedience and faith. And then we know that God has chosen them. And this call does not come through books. It does not come through programs. It does not come through movies. But through the living and active word of God that is spoken, that is used to convert the soul. This is why evangelism is so important. Because some people will say, well, if there's predestination, then why worry about evangelism? You should worry about evangelism because there's predestination. There are people of God out there that need to hear the gospel, that need to hear you say that God loves those who are in Christ, that Jesus died for sin, and there is salvation found in him. And God's calling that he might even use through you, it's an effectual call. It will accomplish its The last word we'll mention here is justification. Those whom he called, he also justified. We've already talked about this wonderful doctrine. That God's call is so effective that those who hear it believe it. And that those who believe it are justified. Made right in the sight of God. Justification, more than just forgiveness and acceptance. It's a declaration by a righteous and almighty God. Judge that a sinner is declared not guilty and is made right in God's sight. So our calling, our justification, it's all about God's sovereign love to save those who belong to him. And so are you struggling with assurance? Do you feel as though you have no hope? Then look to the God who can accomplish good in your life, so much good that even his wonderful plan of salvation for you is in his hands. The last great promise there we'll see is that for those that love God, the best is yet to come. The best is yet to come. Look there in verse 30. Those whom he justified, he also glorified. The best is yet to come. It does not say that those whom God justifies, 
he might possibly glorify one day, it says that they are glorified. The tense of glorified here means that it is as good as done, even though we're waiting for it. We're waiting for its completion. To be glorified means that God's eternal plan of salvation that is found in his loving foreknowledge and predestination, it has the end goal of God to bring glory to himself through his people. So the glory of God is the manifestation of his splendor, and the way that he wishes to display his glory is through the salvation of his people. God is going to get all the glory through bringing a bunch of wretched sinners like us into his kingdom. What amazing grace. The glory of God given to his people. We all fall short of it. But in Christ, we rejoice in the hope of recovering it one day. That our final destiny is heaven itself. Full revelation, full experience of the glory of God. Where we will even have new bodies and be conformed to the image of Christ. We've talked about here recently this already not yet principle. That the, that the, the salvation work of God is already, it's already begun, but it's not yet complete. And this tension between what God has done and what he will do is, is very evident here in these verses. So how is this tension resolved? It is resolved in the person and work of Christ. How God promises to glorify us just like he did his son. God has already raised Jesus from the dead and glorified him. And he sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty to rule and to reign over his church. God has done that. It is a done thing. That's not right red English, but you know what I mean. And so if he has done that, he will do that for us. Can you believe it? Can you believe it? What God has, has, the Father has done in Jesus, he will do to us. And so this completes what many have called the golden chain of salvation. Look back at these verses. You'll see this, this golden chain working through this passage. That those whom God foreknew, he predestined. That those he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he will also glorify. When I was a, a young boy, I can remember being asked to be the ring bearer in a family friend's wedding. And that was the first time I'd done anything like that. I don't know, I was seven or eight years old. And... I was very surprised to learn that having that awesome responsibility, you get a gift afterwards from the, from the happy couple. And I don't know what this couple was thinking, but they gave this young boy a 14-karat gold necklace. Now, back then, that was cool. I don't think that's cool now. <laughs> but it was really cool then, a 14-karat gold necklace, you know. I had no business having that. But I proudly wore that necklace. For years until I lost it. I have no idea where that thing is, and that's why they didn't have any business giving that to a young boy. It's gone, nowhere to be found. But this golden chain, this golden chain that we have just read about, these wonderful promises, they can never be lost. 
this golden chain that God places around the neck of his children can never be lost. So wear it proudly without fear of knowing that it can be lost. Derek Thomas says, if you live inside these massive promises, your life is more stable than Mount Everest. These wonderful truths and these promises show us that absolutely nothing happens without God's very meticulous and careful attention to his plan and his wonderful plan of glory. But to be clear, and we need to be clear this morning, these promises are not for everyone. The Bible says that these promises are only for those who love God. What Paul is not saying that these promises is based on the strength of our love. These promises are for those who love God. It's not a test. Because those who love God are those who are in Christ. And those who are in Christ, God cannot and will not deny. These promises are for those who have put their trust in Christ and repented of their sin and believed on Jesus as Savior. And so I simply ask everyone here this morning, have you done that? Have you done that? Have you repented of your sin and put your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ who will save you from your sin? Love God for that. And if you've not done that, why don't you do that today? I would love to talk with you about it if that's where you are. Let's pray. Our God and our Father, we thank you for these massive promises. We thank you for your sovereignty and your love and your rule that, that literally is bigger and greater and older than anything than we could come up with ourselves. These are eternal things. These are heavenly things that we're talking about here. Lord, help us to believe them. Help us to see that your love is higher than the heavens are above the earth. That the forgiveness that is offered in Jesus Christ, the removal of sins, is as wide and as great as as the east is from the west. So great is your love toward those who fear you, who know you. So, Lord, we thank you for these promises. Help us to live in them and to believe in them. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.